Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Ireland Football Fans Podcast. I'm Joseph McCarthy of Irish Abroad and uh, I'm joined again by Mark Kennedy from Hawkeye Psychic and Phil Flanagan of the Bottomless Pit of Football. And lads, I think it's fair to say this is the first episode that we're actually going to enjoy for quite some time. I hope it's going to be quite euphoric, John, Phil, to be honest, yeah. Because you took right home about really, wasn't it? Great to talk about a couple of wins. It's been a long time coming. March 2019 was the last time that Ireland won back-to-back games you know, when Mick McCarthy's team beat Gibraltar and Georgia 1-0 in consecutive matches. The opposition this time might not have been quite as, as illustrious as those two, but we I think we can agree that the performances that Stephen Kenny's men have put in against Azerbaijan and against Qatar uh, in the last week have given the fans hope for the future. Mark, if you want to start with the Azerbaijan game, um, as it came first, Ireland came roaring out of the traps. Callum Robinson scored uh, a really good goal, well-worked goal. Um, but then the team kind of fell back, and I, I was thinking that this is uh, something we've seen in Ireland teams before, taking an early lead, seem to be playing really well, and then just retreating back into themselves. And for the majority of the, the first half, right up until the second goal went in around the 40-minute mark, like Azerbaijan were on top, and it couldn't be said that we were unlucky not to concede. But uh, what did you think of that first half? I think you summed it quite well, Joe. The opening salvos, we pressed very high up the pitch, on the front foot. I loved James McLean's involvement in that first goal for Robinson. You know, he was driving forward, makes the game uncomplicated. Good things happen. Provides a lovely ball in. Ferenc Darrell Horgan leaves it off for Robinson. Great goal. I suppose with Azerbaijan, they did wake up a little bit, didn't they? After uh, the opener, they did pack the midfield area a little bit and you saw Jared Horgan being really kind of put out of position an awful lot saw him an awful lot in that central midfield area and it was kind of a you know a worry for us the amount of crosses we were having to defend now granted Azerbaijan had an awful lot of long range efforts but the second goal really was kind of in the insurance policy there and again you can kind of criticise the goalkeeping but at least Callum Robinson to lead up to it. You know, Darren Horgan, nice ball into feet early. Callum Robinson, full of confidence after the first goal, takes a shot, make, gets a deflection, 2-0. Overall, I mean, before the kickoff goes 2-0 half-time at Baku, I think we chopped the hand off, really. So, look, all in all, it was a good it was a good half for us, and we also kind of learned bits and pieces in terms of what we need to improve on in the second half. Azerbaijan don't have a good record at home in the qualifiers so far. They've lost both their games that they've played in, in Baku, uh, 2-1 to Serbia and, and 3-0 to Portugal. So we probably should have expected to score. But what was probably more important is that we kept we kept a clean sheet for the first time in the qualifiers so far. But Gambasinu's goal never really felt under threat, despite giving up you know nearly two-thirds of the possession to the host, Phil. Azerbaijan struggled to clear to create anything that you could call a, a clear cut chance. Yeah, they had that that one shot from the edge of the box that he tipped onto the crossbar. And besides that, they didn't really have a lot of chances. I think we defended really well. Like Shane Duffy was absolutely brilliant. They had a lot of the ball in the second half, but like teams do against us, and especially when you only pay two centre midfielders, they're going to have a lot of ball against you. And you know you can see he changed it for the, the home game because 
you know, it's a big difference between being away and, and sitting back and letting the team come on to you and them having a lot of the ball. You're not going to be under pressure from the crowd too much, but like it can't really happen at home because the fans will start getting on your back. Um, but I think that like overall the performance was brilliant. We would have bit your hand off for 3-0. And I think that one of the, the most promising things out of that game was we actually saw Stephen Kenny like manage like to an extent where we could visibly see his tactics and his substitutes work on the pitch, which I think is something we haven't really seen, especially in some of the bigger games. We, you know, his subs have been hit and miss. We've questioned his line-up. Like, he kind of answered an awful lot of questions against Azerbaijan. McGrath came in for Horgan. We saw we needed an extra man in midfield to shore things up. Like, that was that was a great piece of management. Like, I don't think he was going to... I don't think he would have done that three or four games ago, but he he's learning and he's adapting. I think all overall it was a great performance. Azerbaijan didn't really have a lot. No, they had one clear cut chance. That was about it. That change he made, like Daryl Horgan came off at, at half time for McGrath, and like you said, I don't think that's a move that he would have made even as recently as six months ago. Um, no. You know, we we have discussed in the past that he reacts too late to something that seems to be obvious to the rest of us, that substitutions that, that uh, have been made, say, for example, Jack Byrne coming on, they've only been given 10 minutes to make a difference. And, you know, there was a clear weakness in midfield in that game. I felt that Ida looked particularly isolated up front and there was no link really between Cullen and Hendrick in central midfield and the strikers of, of Ida and, and Robinson. And, Adding in that extra body there, adding in McGrath, you know, he played that role really well against Portugal and against Serbia. And, you know, we couldn't understand why he was dropped for the, the home game against Azerbaijan. But his he made a big difference to the second half, and I felt we were a lot more settled. I know the, the winner, the, the final goal came on 90 minutes from Albene, but it, right up until that, we I never thought we were going to lose, and to be honest, I didn't think we were going to concede either. But the big takeaway from the game was that we had a set of formation, we had clear leaders in each third of the pitch in defence and midfield, and attack and a, a link between each of them as well, which maybe we saw against Portugal, but this was something we saw across the whole ninety minutes. It's the first time we've really seen them look like they know what they're doing for the full game and they had a full game plan to deal with whatever situ- situation came at them. Even James McLean for the first goal, like calm and measured, looked up, played a ball, little touch. Like He doesn't do that. Like It's obviously been drilled into him to do that. And, you know, getting at them from the off, having a few early shots, we don't usually do that. It's usually work the ball down the wing or way out the wing and try and cross the ball in. Like... There was a clear game plan to overload their right side for the first 10 minutes even, and it really worked. And then when you when you look at the McGrath substitution, the scoreline like, dictates that as well, and Kenny realised that. You're 2-0 up. You don't need to have that extra man now because you're not pushing for anything really. And if they want to come on to you, we'll put an extra body in the middle. We'll match a man for man, and we might get something on the break then eventually. So it was just... It was the first time over 90 minutes where everything looked like it was done with a purpose and the plan looked right, if you get me. Yeah, and I think the variation as well, guys. I think we've said in this podcast a little bit of variation wouldn't wouldn't hurt. And I think Gavin Bazunu, you know, game management, went to went to 
kind of pass it short. He also was trying to launch uh, Adamida um, early with a few kickouts early just to kind of unsettle Azerbaijan. I thought there was an evolution a little bit in terms of we can talk about the opposition, but there was definitely a distinct kind of game plan and variation to the play, which I did like. And I think second half as well, Joe and Phil, we created a half full of chances. That game should have been well and truly up after 55 minutes. I mean, McLean had a great chance. You know, then Robinson had a great chance as well. I think it was great defending goalkeeping before Obanya's uh, um, debut goal in 19 minutes. So our counter-attack style was very impressive, I thought, in the second half. We looked very threatening every t- any time we went to the Azerbaijan half. I thought as well that it might be, have been the first game where Kenny adapted his style for the opposition. Like Maybe we saw it a little bit against Portugal, but, you know, like I said, we had a third of the possession in that game against Azerbaijan, but we made far better use of the possession that we had than we might have done in previous games. I mean, we have to create eight shots on target from a third of, uh, of the possession that was more than Azerbaijan had. We were happy to sit back in our own half and let Azerbaijan have the ball. We were happy to crowd them out. But when we did get the ball, we looked to break at pace. And whereas I think before it might have been a bit more, a bit more ponderous, a bit more calculated, you know, looking to move the, the team up the pitch. Whereas against Azerbaijan, we were kind of, we were looking to, to break and, you know, create a chance and take it. And three times we did. We possibly should have scored more. I think James McLean was a little selfish in some of the shots that uh, that he took. He could have released uh, Ida for what would have been a it would have been a clear shot on goal. Instead, he shot himself. I think the assist early on probably gave him a little bit of confidence, and he was he did seem to be shooting a, a little bit more than he might have done previously. But to be honest, I would forgive him. The assist when when he did make that assist in the first few minutes. Even when we got, he got the ball, I think we were all thinking the same thing. Okay, he's going to run to the byline and just look to chip across in. But he didn't. He played a really intelligent ball to Robinson to score to score the opener. And that kind of confidence carried him on through the game. And the stats that were released by the FAI for the, the amount of ground that he covered um, was, was, was ridiculous, to be honest. To the point, I think, as well, that himself and Darrell Horgan were kind of trying to, there were two players trying to do the same job. And I think that's, you know, removing Horgan and replacing him with McGrath kind of freed McLean up even more than he had been. I think he just got a bit excited. I think everyone just got a bit excited. Robinson was the same. He was really certain about for a goal. And you were probably looking for a team with a small bit more experience of being a couple of goals up. Adds a few more goals quite easily to that scoreline. But not, not naivety, just a, a lack of composure and a bit of excitement means meant that like, everybody kind of wanted to get in in the act, but especially Robinson McLean, and they did give up a lot of chances. But at the end of the day, we still came home with a clean sheet. We still added a third goal, and it's not the worst complaint in the world to say that you're snatching, you're, you're snatching out a few shots soon enough with 20 minutes to go, you know. Yeah, Robinson was desperate to score that hat-trick as well. You could see that there's so many chances, some of the, the balls that he was receiving, I think it was you know, with a view to him shooting. And look, on another day, he could have had five or six. On another day, the team as a whole probably could have, we could have seen the goals spread around a little bit more. But I'm not going to complain about a 3-0 a win away from home where your biggest complaint is that not enough players scored. Uh, it's something I'm going to take all day and all night. I think just another bit on that is, I think we had nine, nine of the same team that started against Serbia. Nine, the only differences were Brown and... 
there was one other change. But I think he, he's really settled on his, on his back five now. And his sleep is back six even. And that's, that's the huge part of keeping clean sheet. They look like on the same page. Especially even Duffy. You know, uh, Doherty is playing out of his skin as well. But they all look like they know the roles down to a T. Shane Duffy especially looks so comfortable now playing in that in that battery. It's just incredible. You know, he's carrying the ball as well. Um, that's a huge. The, like we can't overlook the clean sheet at all. The back five look really settled, especially Egan and Duffy. Like they look really comfortable as part of a. I know Egan plays as part of a back five and that, but but Duffy especially just the way they, they all know the roles, even the way he's stepping out of out of play with the ball now and he can come forward. Um, but it's definitely the, the clean sheet can't be overlooked either, regardless of the opposition. Like we weren't keeping clean sheets; it was a huge thing because when we were conceding, we weren't exactly scoring loads either. So the job was becoming two, three times as hard. So I think you know he's realised that the strongest area of our squad is the defence. Like we are stacked in defence now, nearly. You know, you've Stevens back and Nathan Collins making his first appearance. Like so, I think he's realised that he's building from the back. Doherty's well, he's finally shown us what he can do. We've seen it at a club level with Wolves anyway, but he's finally producing for us now as well. So you know, Coleman to come back into that team as well. So I think that's a huge, a huge thing, a huge positive as well is the two clean sheets. Do you think that Doherty is going to move back over to the left where we saw him against Portugal when Coleman comes back into the team, assuming he's going to play? Uh, as a right wing back, because I don't think he looked comfortable at all as a right sided centre central defender uh, against Azerbaijan. No, I, I think you you absolutely put Doherty off back over on the left. When he did play over there, he played brilliantly, and we know what Seamus Coleman can do right wing back. So I think they're they're two of your best players. But it just shows you we're starting to have a few options, you know? Like Seamus Coleman was missing for two games. His name wasn't mentioned that. Not really. You know, we didn't say. Oh, you know, we're missing James, or we could do a James here now, which usually we should because he's such a, an unbelievable player for us all the time. You know, he's only had a bad game in the last probably five years, but we didn't miss him. Now, he will come back in because he's so good, but it just shows you at the back, it's our strongest asset. And if we can get our midfield working like we did for the last two games against the likes of Portugal, well, then we have a chance. Like, the thing about the Azerbaijan game in the second half. When you're away from home, you're always going to give up a lot of the ball for sections of the game, and you're always going to give up chances. But having a keeper that's good and having a defence that's good means that sometimes you're not going to concede because you're going to stop those chances. Like, if you're doing it with, you know, a poor defence, poor keeper, you're going to let goals in. But we have a defence and a keeper now that back themselves to say, we're going to play this way, we're going to try and score, and then we give up a couple of chances probably going to stop them or we're going to we're going to nearly stop them you know so I think it's um, I think it's a huge plus um, but yeah to answer your initial question yeah Coleman and Doherty over to the left straight away definitely yeah it will be interesting though Phil just competition for places now given these two yeah, I, I know we'll talk about guitar but I mean the likes of James McLean you know and the Stevens you know taking out that full back slot I mean it's going to breed you know, like guys are going to have to come back to their clubs, perform very well. Stephen Kenny will be monitoring them, and then it'll be very, inter- it'll be a lovely scenario for Stephen Kenny and the rest of the backroom staff to have to select for Portugal. He has no players that are full of confidence, 
uh, you know, on form. So um, is it a given that Seamus Coleman comes back in? Like, he has to get his game time at Everton in the next few weeks as well. Yeah, I I think he does come back in because he's captain. I just just think he does just because it's it's him. But I think you're right, and it's a good example because I think there's a lot of players that are going to have to ask themselves a lot of questions in January. You know, we're looking at you, Aaron Connolly, because if you want to play for this team now, you're going to have to you're going to have to be getting some some minutes, you know, because the competition is so strong now for places. You know, if you remember right back at the beginning of Stephen Kenny's reign, Coleman was front and centre in all of the press conferences that we were all expecting him to continue in the side. And then he was dropped uh, for the opening games uh, against Slovakia. Um, and we were kind of wondering what was going on there. I think, Kenny has realised that he's not just a really good player, he's a leader on the pitch as well. He's a he's a real captain. And, OK, these two games were won without him being involved, but the performances improved when we had Coleman in the team, which, which probably isn't a surprise. You know, better players make you play better. Shock horror. So, no, I, I definitely think Coleman comes straight back into the team uh, when he recovers from injury. Just, you know, we're talking about strength and depth. Um, Darryl Shea isn't going to be back before the end of the year. And when he got injured against Portugal, we all thought that's a definite starter missing. Uh, but Andrew Vamadeli stepped up, stepped straight into the, the three-man defence. And for me now, it's up to O'Shea to get him out of the team. He's shown over the last four games that he's played in that you know he's not just capable at international level. He looks like he's been playing there his entire career. He could have had a goal against Serbia, and I think that might be something that maybe he could add to his game, but that's probably asking a lot to, that we would have two goal-scoring centre-halves in the same team. There, wa- there was a couple of moments, in the, in the I know we'll move on to the Qatari game, but there was a couple of, of moments where he, he, he got caught out a couple of times tracking back, tracking players, easy kind of things. I think Duffy gave him a bit of a hiding at one stage. So there is, there's definitely plenty of room for improvement. I, the question would still be there, like, could he be got at? Like, I know he's a strong physical presence, but it would be interesting to see if if Portugal try anything special down that down that side. Um, but overall, he he looks like one for the future, definitely like a like a an absolute starter. Again, it'll be key with him as well. You know, he's going back to Norwich City, so it'll be game. very interesting to see to see game minutes for Andrew as well. Yeah, I guess Portugal that'll be a big test, but you know he has dealt well, you know, particularly with in the Algarve in September. You know, he did, did seem to kind of acquit himself quite well. But again, Portuguese will have um, the game tape on him, so it will be interesting. It will be a good test. Uh, definitely agree with that, Phil. But he has risen to the occasion, no doubt about it, and it's been a, one of the big bonuses for Stephen Kenny and the management in recent weeks. Well, by the time the nation league comes, the the nations. League comes around again, or the next, the next set of games after the the last two in this qualifying campaign. Like we've we've Collins at, at Burnley, and there is talk of Tarowski moving to Newcastle in January. So we could see Nathan Collins get a lot more game time than we maybe initially expected this season. You know, we, we thought maybe he'd be in and out as as it's his first season with them, but you know he might be thrown in the deep end yet. So you might have a case where he's playing he's playing full time Premier League football. Yeah, and Ben Mee as well, as well from Burnley. I think he's been confirmed as positive for COVID nineteen, so it's going oh, to be a period, hey, right, yeah, yeah, so a period like, of isolation. So 
Collins will yeah. be getting his game time, I think, in recent yeah. weeks. Well, it's it's all options at the end of the day, you know. From from a, like a year ago, we didn't look like we had that many, and now all of a sudden, the likes of Amabamadele is like just it's kind of out of the blue as well. Like you know, it's it's a great bonus to have. I completely agree. Yeah, it's in terms of you know guys taking their opportunity, putting their hand up for selection. See, it's been brilliant to see. There have been positive signs in previous games. We all saw the performance in Portugal. We thought we expected the team to continue that vein uh, in their next game at home against Azerbaijan, and you know they struggled. And a criticism that we have had of Kenny is that there doesn't seem to be much consistency be- between performances. In the opening game of the qualifiers, we lost away to Serbia despite scoring twice, and then followed up with the worst home loss in our history but when we lost to Luxembourg. So there was a few nerves uh, when I headed into Aviva Stadium on Tuesday night. You know, the doubt was that would the manager have found that consistency and, um, you know, that lasted all of four minutes when Callum Robinson scored the first goal of his hat-trick. And I thought, no, uh, I think this is another lesson that's been learned by the manager that, you know, he found uh, a formation and a set of tactics that worked for this set of players you know, we absolutely dominated. Aside that when we played them last, we scored early again, but we never really had full control of the game. And even when, when they uh, equalised, you know, it, it, you kind of felt straight away that this was going to end in a draw. But after the, even when the second goal went in, you know, 10 minutes later, you kind of thought this was real foot on the throat football and we were going to put them away and that's what happened for the, the next 60 minutes and on a very enjoyable night in Dublin We've heard about the high press and everything else, I think this was another classic example, we haven't mentioned one of the new backroom staff members and that's Stephen Rice who's the opposition analyst and I think he has to be given an awful lot of credit along with Anthony Barry, Keith Andrews the rest of uh, the backroom staff, Dean Kiley because Qatar in March, remember guys, were very technically good, like physicality, they were up there, they had an awful lot of good moments. So I think Qatar were probably confident coming to Aviva on you know, this week on getting a result, but in fairness to the Republic of Ireland, it was just the high press game I thought was very impressive. Uh, I don't know, Joel, you, you were there in Aviva, but the pressure they put on Qatar from minute one never let them settle whatsoever, never got into a pattern, never got into a tempo. We completely bossed it, as you said. And, I mean, the statistics uh, really speak for themselves, guys. 667 passes were attempted by the Republic of Ireland. 623 completed. I don't know, Joe, from your statistician uh, brains here, but is that kind of a record for Republic of Ireland in an international match? I mean, it's uh, 93%. That's a phenomenal, phenomenal yeah. rate. Again, Robinson, you know, full of confidence, takes a shot, sets the tone, really, doesn't it? And then we never look back from there. He wasn't just a player in confidence after the two goals against Qatar. You know, he had the confidence to actually take the shot. And I think possibly was told by the manager, you know, that these are the kind of goals that you can score. You need to shoot more. Uh, we've had a problem with goal scoring for a long time. That predates the manager. That probably goes back to when, you know, Robbie Keane's career started to go into, you know, his, his autumn years. And that's when we found a replacement for him. But... The two games, the way we played in these two games, it kind of seems that we're going to set the team up so that they, the players can create 
chances that the forwards in this team can score. Now, we could do with spreading things around a little bit more, but the first hat-trick scored by the men's team since uh, Robbie Keane scored three goals against Gibraltar, uh, again, is, is impressive. I honestly don't know if the past numbers are a, a record for Ireland at international level, but I think we can all agree that they're ridiculously impressive. Some people say that Qatar are poor opposition, but they've been improving rapidly uh, you know, as they build towards the World Cup being held there at the end of next year. They're not world beaters. They're not a great side, but they're not a bad side. And we made them look like a bad side, which again is something we haven't done in a long time. It was a performance from everyone. It was just, it was as complete a performance you'd have seen from an Irish team in, oh, I don't know how long. Mark mentioned the press. From minute one, there was obviously a game plan to get at them from the start. And from minute one to minute 90, whatever, we, we did not let up. We did not let, let up at all. And everybody to a man was excellent. There was literally no faults in this game. And as you said, Qatar aren't a bad team. They've played lots of internationals. They bet Japan and Australia in the Asian Cup not that long ago. They have a World Cup coming next year. They did not want to be getting hockeyed 4 nil. Nor, I'd say, did they expect it. And it's not like I saw a lot of people say, oh, it's only Qatar. Our problem was we weren't able to beat these these teams like Qatar. We couldn't, you know, we were barely drawn with them. So I don't think that can be leveled against the team. You can only play what's in front of you. But another point would be that they're not a bad team in the sense that, like, we didn't look at their keeper and go, oh, their keeper is absolutely dodge. You know, he's not. The mistakes came from how we set up and how we approached the game. We forced the issue. We put them under pressure and we made them look very, very ordinary. Um, like to go through the team, Grieven Gallagher, I don't think he had the ball in his hand for 40 minutes in the first half. Shane Duffy again bringing the ball out for that goal, looking so composed. Jeff Hendrick, I don't know what was said to Jeff Hendrick before the game. Maybe Stephen Kenny mentioned the Arabs wanted to give him a new contract or something loads of money because oh my god I haven't seen him that was 2016 Jeff that was Paris Jeff Hendrick like that was it was yeah. an incredible performance Conor Horan who is really down the pecking order now I think obviously knew he needed to be in performance but didn't go missing you know I looked at the team and I saw him in it and I thought oh is he in it for his set pieces but you know really I think you had mentioned off air about, about his passing stats you know a really good good performance from him Stevens back in the team played well like I don't want to go through them all but Jamie McGrath, absolutely excellent as well. And I think the, the big thing with the team selection, and we mentioned this earlier in the pod, that he's picking teams now, you know, specifically with the opposition in mind. He's not just picking them. He's he's thinking about the opposition. And while we didn't have that extra man in the first half in Azerbaijan, because, we, you know, we're away from home and they're going to have more of the ball, I think it was absolutely imperative that we had control of the football against this game because, you know, when you're at home and you don't, the crowd can get antsy and then it can get a bit nervous. And we've seen it. We saw it against Luxembourg. So I think McGrath from the start, was it was a, it was a no-brainer, but it was a brilliant it was a brilliant move by Kenny as well. And I think it just helped us totally dominate the game. It was brilliant from start to finish. Bringing McGrath in as well was maybe a slight acknowledgement that he got it wrong starting... Horgan and McLean in the same team uh, against Azerbaijan. Say that, Joe, but we were 2 0 up at half time. Horgan and McLean both had an assist. I think you'd be harsh to say that. I think, I think I'd nearly give him credit for actually realising he needed to change it because the home team has gone in 2 0 down 
and the manager's obviously given them a bollock and, and they're going to come at you now and they're going to come for your throat. And he's gone, well, now we need another body in there. Okay. That, uh, that's just I, the way I would have looked at it. I, I just felt that having McGrath in midfield give the, the side a bit more of a, a settled look in the, in the second half. And yeah, you're right. Look, no team is going to sit back at 2-0 down, especially at home. And yeah, it could have been, that could have been his thinking as well. I just felt that that midfield, it just seems to be a little more comfortable when McGrath is in there. Uh, it doesn't matter who's playing beside him. If it's, if it's Hendrick or if it's Horahan, I just think he, he brings a bit of steel to the, to the center midfield that might be lacking. And I remember like under Trapattoni, we used to complain that he had a, a system and he just saw the players as square pegs that he could put into each square hole. And I think that's Kenny is kind of moving that way in that he's found a system now for this t- set of players. But he's prepared to give the players, you know, the square pegs that he's put into each square hole a degree of freedom. Maybe that we, that, that's, you know, that they can play in, you know, the build up for the first and the, the third goal of Robinson's hat trick. You know, there was patience. You know, there was possession. We were spraying the ball around. Okay. Qatar gave us the space to do it, but then we just, we went and did it. How many different passes were involved in that, in that third goal? There was, there was runs from Duffy to distract midfielders. And when Hendrick laid the ball in for the final pass for the assist for the goal, you know, he had room. He knew exactly what he was doing. And I'd say Robinson knew exactly where the ball was going to be. Uh, and he knew exactly what he was going to do as well. Yeah, I think it's the, it's the big thing over the two games that everybody looked like they knew what they were meant to do and when they were meant to do it against two different teams with different variations in the game. That's the biggest plus from the whole thing that I can take away is that Kenny, between him and the backroom team, they've done their homework and they have their idea now is you can see what they want to do. It's on the pitch. It's not just like, oh, we want to do this. We want to play nice football. We want to pass the ball. We want to do this. We want to do that. You can see it. It's there. We've, we've seen it in action. You know, it's the biggest plus from the two games. And I think it's it's turned a lot of people's heads who maybe exactly wouldn't be like, who would be saying, oh, well, look, we don't need to play this kind of way to get results. But, like, it's an effective way. To, if, you, if you can get master it, it's an effective way to get results. The one downside, if you want to call it a downside now, is that when Portugal come in four weeks' time, the tickets might be hard to come by. Because I think the two performances have ignited an interest in the national side that wasn't there before and hasn't been there for, for some time. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. We're playing a nice brand of football as well, guys. I mean, did mention Baku kind of varied up, but like everyone was so, you know, comfortable. I know Qatar were a bit rattled, and I think they'll learn massively from the 4-0 loss as well, heading into a World Cup. They realise that teams will, they will be expecting that, you know, come December of next year. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's a nice brand of football that we're trying to play. And, I mean, results are coming, confidence is coming, there's goodwill there. Um, now, there might be one or two people sitting on the fence a little bit waiting for the Portuguese and the Luxembourg game to really provide a, a final assessment here. But again, you know, guys, it's like the last week has been, I think, it has has gone as perfectly as it could possibly do for Stephen Kenny and the team. Really. I mean, you can see the confidence is restored uh, to an awful lot of players. Even Jeff Hendrick, you said, Phil, there. It's like he was absolutely phenomenal. Midweek, you know, he really controlled things superbly well, and you know, he had a chance at the end, just just narrowly over. 
an awful lot of confidence going into the Portuguese game. We know that Portugal are going to be a different animal, a different thoroughbred to what we faced in the last few days, but we shouldn't be fearing these guys given our performance in Faro. In the 90 minute, we were still 1 0 up. With a full crowd, I think anything is possible here. And Portugal may have pressure on them given that Serbia are breathing down their necks in qualification as well. I'd be quite confident here getting a result against Portugal. And then getting a result in Luxembourg as well, because I think Luxembourg, their form has massively dipped since the Aviva. Um, I mean, their form has dipped without trace. They were very poor against Portugal. So I think we have to be confident going into the last two games here. Portugal's final game of the group after they, they play us, Mark, is uh, home against Serbia, which will probably decide first and second in Group A. So I think they'll, they'll want to put themselves in a good position to qualify at home in front of their home fans. Don't get me wrong, I'm looking forward to welcoming Portugal, especially after these two performances. But I'm, you know, realistically, we're probably looking at a defeat. They're unbeaten in the group. They've only drawn one game. They've only conceded four. One of them was against us. But they've scored 16 goals in six games. And look, we all know the man up front is, is looking to extend his, his world record even further. He scored a, another hat-trick on Tuesday night. Uh, two of them were penalties, but... Uh, he's there to score penalties. He's there to put the ball in the back of the net, and that's what he does. I think you know he is coming to the end of his career, and but he's still a goal scorer, a goal scorer. We have to be very, very conscious of. Look, we can talk about the Portugal game uh, when we preview that the final double header uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Right, the only outfield player that didn't get to appear across the two games was Aaron Connolly. Uh, I know Will Keane was called up and unfortunately had to miss both games because of uh, of injury. We It remains to be seen if he's called up again in November. But do you think that leaving Connolly on the bench, bringing on Tripart and James Collins against Qatar, bringing on Albene against uh, and Part for uh, the last two minutes of the game against Azerbaijan is, you know, is him sending a message to the to the Brighton striker? Absolutely. He needs a move away from Brighton and he needs to do it in January. Like there's been, you know, there's been questions over his um, his temperament, his, his training ground, work ethic and that. But if you're not playing, you're not going to get in this Irish team now with the amount of, of players we now have that we can call upon. Like you mentioned to yourself, like out of the whole squad, only two players didn't get game time. And, you know, we made five changes for the Qatari game, and it looked like we didn't make, you know, like, it, it was seamless. And any of those players could have been in the team against Azerbaijan. So I think he's an awful lot of ground to make up. You've, Albene has come in, and you know, he scored, you know, he's already, he's already got his goal. I think Ida, while I, I feel sorry for Ida, because he's done everything but get a goal for us, but he serves another purpose in that he, he's good at what he does off the ball, and without necessarily being a, a goal scorer, he holds the ball up well. We know what he does. Whereas with Connolly, it's he's kind of in the team. You want him in the team to score goals specifically. And if he's not doing it, and if he's not playing, he's not going to get in the team. Like especially with the likes of Parrot now, League One, fair enough. But he's gone to League One and he's hit the ground running this season. So I think Connolly will have to move. I would imagine Championship. I can't see him getting a move anywhere else in the Premier League. I can't see him being involved in the next two games if he doesn't. Brighton are having a really good start to the season as well, and it's hard to get into a winning team. Ida seems to be the opposite. He can't get into a, a losing team at Norwich. Potter has already been linked with Newcastle, although I think 
any manager that comes under the heading of you know forward thinking is probably going to be linked with, with Newcastle in the coming weeks and months. And who knows where they might. They could end up uh, pushing for a European spot. Conley was out of the team, but for what was described as personal indiscretion and has gotten back into the match day team, but he seems to be just staying on the subs bench. We hope that in the next couple of weeks, he kind of realises that followers on Instagram are all well and good, but if if you start chasing that, then your football, your which is you know what got you the followers in the first place, is going to suffer. He needs first-team football. He needs to start scoring again. And I think we've mentioned this a couple of times during the episode. There's real competition for places in the squad now. He can't afford to be anyway complacent. I'd agree with that, Joe. Aaron Connolly's defence, the Caribou Cup, could be a potential route for him to get game time. He did score twice against Swansea in the previous round. I think it's key that Brighton have a deep passage in that tournament uh, because he will get game time, obviously. Another guy that probably comes to mind, Jason Malumbi. There's some big fan of his, but he really needs to start playing football, regular first-team football. He's gone to West Bromwich Albion, great opportunity for him. But again, winning sides, he's only like how many minutes it's been paltry minutes for him but I think the overall team I think Phil hit nail on the head here I mean it's good that we're seeing guys getting game time now and the more game time they're getting the more form the more confidence and particularly with likes of Troy Parry seems to be reveling a little bit in the MK Dons at the moment so as long as we can get competition for places you know we're kind of talking about the end of Stevens James McLean's you know even James Coleman's coming back into the frame. As long as the management have options which they can have have a long meeting about to decide on teams on the team, then I think it all bodes very well, I think, for the national side. I think Stephen Kenny will probably be and I think he hinted that at the press conference, didn't he, about Aaron Connolly? That he needed to get more regular first team football. And I think this may have been a subtle hint to Connolly on that as well. So I'm just wondering with Graham Potter, will he come out and kind of support the player a little bit because he's still in the football club or will the decision be made a bit like Malumbi to have him out and loan you know come January so I think definitely championship club maybe not even for someone like that might take a chance on him in January but again ought to be seen like you, you can't afford to carry too many players in in an international team that aren't getting full-time minutes you know we only have a few Amadele is one he's still very young it's to be you know it, I wouldn't necessarily hold that against him. You know, he, he's he's very he's only just new on the scene, really. Whereas Conley's been around for a couple of years. You have Ida as well. Ida is at least coming off the bench sometimes for Norwich. The rest of the squad is practically playing, and it's always important to like, to, you know, your form players should be in the squad. Players that are scoring are playing well. Like Parrot's one of them. It's no wonder he got the nod over Connolly. And, like, we haven't even mentioned Obafemi. Like, Obafemi's got his move to Swansea. You know, I know he's been, he has a muscle strain or whatever. He's, I don't know, is he back at the weekend coming? He's missed a few weeks. But, like, that man could go on a run of form yet in the next six months with Swansea. He might settle down that he's got his move. He might throw in a few goals. That's another player Connolly could be behind very quickly. And then all of a sudden, it's kind of like, you know, he's, he's in Sean Maguire territory. He's just, you know, he's not involved. You know, you just have to be playing regular football to be in this squad now, or to be involved in the team, or even talked about in the first eleven, which is great, but not for the players that aren't playing. It's great for the fans, though, and it's great for the manager that he has those kind of decisions to make. 
Oh, brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. I do feel that the exception to that rule seems to be Mark Travers playing regularly in goals now at the top of the championship and should be look to be challenging to return to the Premier League really quickly. But Cuevin Kelleher got the nod ahead of him for the game against Qatar. I did think Travers might play even a half of football. You know, he's just unlucky that Zunu is, I think, the clear first-choice goalkeeper now. Kelleher, despite not playing for Liverpool, seems to be the the second choice and Travers despite getting first team football in a team that are playing good football and a team that are as I say are, ch- are looking to return to the Premier League seems to be the third choice and that's just really unfortunate for him and even to, to a greater extent for Darren Randolph who's gone from first choice to it really looks like fourth choice now Yeah I'd say there's a retirement there coming soon retirement announcement coming soon I'd say end of the season I would imagine, because I cannot see how he comes back near this team with those three keepers. Yeah, it's a kind of a tough ask for Randolph at the moment. Like He's not getting regular first-team football at the moment. I know we've talked about Travers a bit. I think in the next few weeks has to kind of continue the upward projection. Kenner as well. I mean, he'll get the Caribou Cup. Allison may be rested for a few EPL games, but I suppose this year he's benching in press conference. He's happy at the moment, but maybe this time next year... That kind of changes a little bit, but we know the potential of him. He may play in a few Champions League games as well if Liverpool secure qualification. So I'm not too worried about Callagher, but I think Randolph definitely. Ra- Darren Randolph owes nothing to the Jersey Republic of Ireland anyway. Oh. He'll always be willing, you know, available for selection anyway if yeah, to the squad. So, but again, it's really up to the player. I think it's up to West Ham as well to decide where is best at the moment. Just given that they're stacked with goalkeeper and talent at the moment anyway. You know, it's hard to get into that first team at West Ham. So, yeah, true points here, guys. But uh, isn't it great that we have three talented young keepers here vying for the number one spot? It's really, it's starting to kind of creep in outfield as well. I think it's a great, it's a great scenario for Stephen Kenny to have. You do wonder how fresh in, in Stephen Kenny's mind is that Serbia game with Travers. And look, it was, it was just a bad day at the office for him. But when you see you would imagine he'd be next in line over Kelleher because he is now playing first-team football, but that's probably fresh in the back of Stephen Kenny's head. And then when Kelleher does play for Liverpool, as sparsely as it is, he just looks like he's been playing 10 games in a row. He looks, he just comes across as, the as not the finished article, but he looks like he's been doing it for years, whereas that's probably kind of the opposite to how Travers looked when he came in for us. So that could be still an issue, possibly. A harsh one, but still. Yeah, I think unfortunately for Travers as well, the lack of game time with AFC Bournemouth at that time as well. Yeah. You know, he was he was literally thrown into the deep end. And, you know, with a team that wasn't playing with great confidence either going to Belgrade, you know, we did have our moments, but, you know, we were kind of looking for that first win as well. So I think a few things conspired against him. And look, no better guy than Mitrovic to basically expose any kind of shortcomings, uh, David Tom keeper as well. So. Look, he'll get his opportunity again. He just needs to continue to perform with AFC Bournemouth. You know, Scott Parker in charge there. Good season there. Um, he gets in the rec then again, and he'll be available for selection. So he just has to buy his time, I think. You know, Radoff is, is only 34, which is old for a player, but still not quite old for a goalkeeper. Like you said, I think if called upon, he'd definitely be available for the, for the national side. But with three players... Well, with two players playing regular football and one player regularly training with you know, one of the top teams in England, it's going to be hard for him to 
to to add to his his fifty caps that he has for Ireland. But look, on the other hand, he's he's earned his retirement. It wasn't just the senior men's team that were playing this week, of course. The under-21s had two qualifiers. Their first game in front of a crowd at Tala Stadium, where they beat Luxembourg 2-0 and looked to control throughout the game. But And then uh, went to Podgorica to face Montenegro, where you know, we expected the team to continue their unbeaten run in the, uh, the qualifiers for the 2023 UEFA European Under-21 Championship, but unfortunately gave up an early penalty and never really recovered from that, going on to lose 2-1 to, to, to Montenegro. And Mark, when you consider that the team have drawn already with Luxembourg and still have to face uh, the top seeds in the group, Sweden and Italy, and a double header in November, fortunately both games are at home, but it, you kind of think that those five points that have already been dropped are probably going to cost them a place in the top two in the group. It's a tall order now, Joe, to be perfectly fair. They're really looking at six points against Italy and Sweden at home. So I did watch the Luxembourg game, uh, the game live. It was great to see Tala, you know, full of the fan, fans, good atmosphere. I was a little bit underwhelmed by the performance of him, brutally honest with you. Um, you know, given our possession, Luxembourg didn't really threaten that much. Um, for me, Coventry, Kilkenny were the two key guys here that looked to unlock our defence. Thought our front three were a little bit kind of naive at times, kind of coming in out of position. You know, you know, a bit too kind of impatient. Um, but again, I think Co- Connor Coventry out of the two games, no, the missed penalty against Montenegro. But I thought he looked very good. You know, his possession or distribution for the first goal was very good. Um, and then I think in fairness to Luxembourg, they tried to kind of come at us a little bit in the second half, but Coventry's penalty kind of secured the win. But again, given our possession, I would have hoped that our full-backs could have done a little bit more, given the space that they were afforded. But then, as you say, the Montenegro game, I think Crawford made press conference comments about the whole uncertainty about the UK-based players going to Montenegro and the whole quarantine. Did that impact the players at all? Because the first 10 minutes were an absolute nightmare over there I mean they got rattled early with the early goal and again there didn't seem to be much composure in the sides an awful lot of panic an awful lot of anxiety went suddenly 2-0 down and only started playing in the second half so I think we got taught a lesson in Montenegro to be kind of set up defensively solid um, I think the penalty from Coventry at the end would have masked over a few things I think they'd lost those focused minds again heading into that Swedish and Italian game don't know about yourself, Joe, but again, it's a disappointing result. But I think in this under-21 level, you have to learn hard lessons to get to the next level. And I think the Republic of Ireland team, certainly in Montenegro, uh, learned some valuable lessons on that loss. I think we have to recognise as well that there's at least three players that would start for the under-21s in the national side. And in Andrew, Umba, Daddy, Ida and Parrish. And when you're missing players of that quality, you're going to suffer. But... The game in Montenegro, we gave up uh, an early penalty. The second goal, the team, I think, still hadn't recovered and looked like almost like they were in shock from it. But we had a golden opportunity to score when Conor Coventry, who had scored a penalty against Luxembourg four days earlier, took what I felt was a really soft penalty against Montenegro. Um, It was low down. It was to the keeper's left. Uh, He didn't have to stretch to save us. And... 
I don't want to say Ireland deserved the loss in Podgorica, but they definitely didn't deserve to win. And look, the next two games could probably decide uh, whether or not we're still going to be, uh, you know, if we're going to you know, keep any interest in this qualifiers, uh, which run, you know, uh, until June of next year. And they're really up, going to be up against it, against the two top seeds. Possibly home advantage may be a factor in the results, but it does feel like the under-21s have taken a step back uh, since Kenny has been promoted to, to senior manager. <coughs> We've never qualified for uh, a tournament at under-21 level, and what's always seemed to be the reason is that the best players from the under-17 and under-19 teams go straight to the, the senior <coughs> squad, and the managers that have been in charge of the under-21 team you know, and I'm not just talking about Stephen Kenny, but Don Gibbons and Noel King, they've trotted out this line that we're providing players for the senior team, which for me doesn't really wash if the best players are just going straight from the from the under-17s or the under-19s in. It's a shame, really, because there had been real progress made with Stephen Kenny in charge, and getting promoted to the senior team uh, has meant that the under-21s have, have suffered. We'll discuss the two games in Tala in our next episode, but realistically, those two games are going to end our chances of qualification for Romania and Georgia in 2023. Finally, not just the senior team and not just the under-21s, but the under-17s uh, were hosted their qualifying group for next year's uh, UEFA European Under-17 Championships. All three games were played in Turner's Cross in Cork. With Ireland finishing top of their group ahead of Poland, North Macedonia and uh, Group Middles and Andorra. Qualification was won after the second game, uh, after we beat North Macedonia 2-0. Uh, yeah, and despite going 2-0 down, uh, similar to the under-21s in their final game against Poland, you know they fought back with what was a gift of a goal for Omani to score when he, he put pressure on the Polish goalkeeper in possession and then was left with an open an open goal to score and then a pretty phenomenal free kick from uh Ferzaj from about twenty yards. It means that uh, Ireland topped the group with seven points, uh with the elite round to come in the new year. I think that draw in the last game might come back to haunt them a little bit. It means that we won't be a top seed uh, in the elite round, but with the winners of each group in the elite round going forward and the best seven of the eight second-team finishers in the eight groups in the elite round. I think we still have a pretty good chance of qualifying for uh, next year's tournament in Israel. So, two games, two wins, and two excellent performances of us all looking ahead to the final two qualifiers in a few weeks' time. I'd like to thank Mark and Phil for joining me. You can follow them on Twitter. Mark is at Hawkeye Psychic and Philip at Philip J. Flanagan. A thoroughly enjoyable international window, lads. It's great. <laughs> great to have one. Yeah. Yeah. Looking yeah. forward to how Sky promote the battle of the CR7s in November. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's been a long time coming. We hope you've enjoyed the episode. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay.